Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit to the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there rose a sharp dis disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You may be seated. Thank you, Dave. We're in Acts 15 today, so you can join me at Acts 15, beginning in verse 36. Uh, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, God, I believe, has a sense of humor, and so we just got through three sermons on the church council in Jerusalem and them working together to figure out whether Gentile converts to Christianity, non-Jewish converts to Christianity had to follow the Old Testament law by being circumcised and all these kinds of things. And they did such a good job of working together and then they write a letter and they send it to the churches and all these kinds of things. And then in the very next passage, Paul and Barnabas are fighting. Now, is that life or is that life? That is life. Well, as we run the race of this life, you know, as believers, as fellow Christians, we're often tempted, I think, to swing a club at the legs of the runner next to us, right? Uh, this is just the way things are. Listen, we live in a sinful world, and we don't bat an eye anymore. I don't think that you do. I don't bat an eye anymore. When someone in politics does something dirty and underhanded to tear down their political opponent, that happens all the time. We expect them to leak false stories, to pay off people of poor character, to make up accusations, to cooperate with their uh, friends in the media to spin a narrative in the way that helps their cause and destroys their opponent. We, that's just normal operating procedures. We've come to expect these things. And um, we, we've come to expect these things even to the point, and this is, it's the point of absurdity, but even to the point where that particular organization no longer is even trying to carry out its mission anymore because it's so engaged in political attacks on their opponents. That's, we have come to expect that. However, I think that we ought to really own this one. You know, we ought to own what's going on uh, in the churches today. Because uh, it still does shock the senses, right, to see the kinds of things that play out in churches. And let me tell you a story. This has nothing to do with our church. Uh, somebody in first service was uh, uh, making a funny story and saying, oh, you're talking about something here. No, no, not at all. There was a church out west. We're going to protect the uh, names of these churches and individuals, uh, protect the innocent. Uh, but we're going to call that the original church, right? And the original church was a fine work. It had been there for a long time, spreading the gospel, ministering to people. And it was pastored by a man that we'll call the grand old pastor. The grand old pastor. He had 40 years in at this church, and he had done a fantastic job. He had been a model of biblical living, Christ-likeness, character. 
But as, is, as happens to all of us, he's getting older, right? The grand old pastor got older, and he began to groom a man to become the next lead pastor, the next pastor of the church. And he groomed him for seven years, working with the church leadership, working with the congregation, kind of pointing everybody in the direction that this man could take over. And eventually, the church agreed, and he did. And the, the replacement pastor came to be the pastor of the original church, and the grand old pastor retired. And as, he, as was his wish, he wanted to retire and stay at the original church and, and celebrate there to worship there. Well, not too many years later, a group of about 30 families decided they didn't like the way that the replacement pastor was running things. And so these 30 families kind of banded together and they, they got in touch with the old, grand old pastor. And that grand old pastor, to his discredit, entertained what they had to say and agreed with them. And so on one particular Sunday, those 30 families and the grand old pastor sent a letter to the original church resigning, forming the church split with the grand old pastor as the lead pastor of the church split. And they were supported by a sending church. This, the original church was in Florida. This all, or I'm sorry, this original church was all out west, all west of the Mississippi. But the sending church was in Florida. Now, none of the 30 families, nor did the grand old pastor come from the church in Florida, but the grand old pastor had a church buddy, a pastor buddy of his, who was shepherding that church in Florida, and they had agreed that they would represent the sending church. Okay, well, that damage done, the original church split and became two churches, the original church and the church split that was allegedly sent by the descending church in Florida. Press releases were, you know, the grand old pastor wrote press releases and did interviews about how they're starting a new church plant in the community. It wasn't a church plant. It was a split from the original church. So other pastors, other well-meaning pastors started asking questions. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is not a new church plant. This is a split off the original church to the point where one pastor called the church in Florida to, aiming to talk to the, the pastor there in Florida and instead getting the church secretary. And he said, hello, I'm pastor such and such. And I'd like to ask you, I'd like to talk to your pastor about the church that your church is planting out here out west. And the church secretary said, we're not planting a church out west. The church in Florida had no idea about the church that's being planted out west. It's just that these two pastor buddies got together and the pastor in Florida, thinking that nobody would ever find out, just said, yeah, we're your, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the base as your sending church to lend credibility to the fact that you're, to, to what you're trying to do, which is to plant a church, but they weren't planting a church, they were splitting a church. Things got messy. From then on, the for, for a number of years, the two churches coexisted in the community, but with some bad blood between them, the original church and the church split. But the old grand pastor, the grand old pastor, he didn't get any younger. It's shocking how that happens. So they hired a young man that we'll call the new pastor to take the grand old pastor's place, and he retired for a second time. He retired for a second time. Until months later, 
a faction within the church split came to the grand old pastor and said, we don't like the way the new pastor's running things over here, and so you need to get rid of him. And so the, new, the uh, grand old pastor, a very wise man, keen to the ways of church, he decided to invoke a little-known uh, by, byline or clause in the Constitution, and he got the church to put in to have a vote of confidence for the new pastor. In, in an attempt, they thought he thought that he could get the new pastor out of there and reassume the role of the grand old pastor in the church. Trouble is, is that uh, the church split was on to his shenanigans, and when they voted, 75% of the church voted to affirm the new pastor in his role. All done, right? The grand old pastor is now forced into retirement. That's how it ended, right? No, you see, the grand old pastor was a shrewd man, and he and some of the older men that led that church had never, ever put any of the church property, bank accounts, or anything else in any other name but their own. So when that vote didn't go the way they wanted, they simply locked the doors and said, it's ours, we're taking it back. How can a man, how can the grand old pastor, a model of character, biblical fidelity, operating, running a church for 40 years, fall into such craziness? Well, let's talk about that today. We're going to talk about these conflicts that come up in the life of the church. And this is just indicative. I mean, in the time that I've been here, in the time that I've been in Delaware, which is just over 10 years, uh, I've seen two churches that I know of that I can name split in this town or in this community. And um, it happens. People get sideways with each other. By the way, some of the pastors in the community that were concerned about why the original church split talked to the grand old pastor and said, what were the issues that drove the split? Thinking that they, ha they had to be clear biblical issues. And guess what? Even though the grand old pastor said they were clear biblical issues, it turns out that they were all matters of preference. Chairs versus pews, hymns versus choruses, new music, old music, color of the carpet in the auditorium, does the pastor wear a suit or not, a tie or not, things like that. So the big question that we're going to wrestle with today in the midst of Paul and Barnabas' conflict is, is this. How does Paul's conflict with Barnabas inform our disagreements in the church today? Now, let me just say this before we get started. This is a descriptive text, not prescriptive, but we read this text and then we look, look other, other places in Scripture to kind of learn how we are to understand what's going on here, right? And so that's what we're going to do today. How does Paul and Paul's conflict with Barnabas inform our disagreements in the church today? Let's talk about some history first. Because the, the four main characters that are in this story, Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark, and Silas, they do have, there are other places in Scripture that tell us a bit about them. So let's start with Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. That's what his name means, son of encouragement. Could you imagine when Barnabas made like a snarky comment? Way to go, son of encouragement. Nice. Son of encouragement. So in Acts 4.36, we learn first of all, that he was a native of Cyprus. That'll come up later in the text, but it's good for us to know that. Acts 4.36 tells us that Barnabas was from Cyprus. In Colossians 4.10, we also learn that there's an interesting relationship between Barnabas and John Mark. They are actually related. They are cousins, right? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you 
and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So they are related. Now, you think that what's going on here is nepotism? Don't know. Maybe it's just that that familial connection that Barnabas has with John Mark means that John Mark wants, or Barnabas wants John Mark to do well and to, to grow in his faith. Who knows? But anyway, there's a little bit about Barnabas. Now let's talk about Paul. What we need to know about Paul that's relevant to this story, because there's a lot we could pick up, is that when Paul, who previously was Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, who was present when they stoned Stephen and approved of it, who was on his way to Damascus to put some other Christians in jail or, or even maybe oversee their execution, that he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and was converted. But just because he was converted doesn't mean that he walked into town and all of the apostles, the followers of Jesus, now accepted him. They did not. The guy, the person that negotiated or brought the two sides together, Paul and the apostles that brought them together was Barnabas. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And when he, Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had, that he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how, how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas was the guy that put his reputation and his good name on the line to say to the rest of the disciples, Paul's a good guy. He's one of us. So let's simmer down and bring him into the, let's bring him into the group. You just got to know that. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas have a relationship, and Barnabas has been very meaningful in Paul's life. Let's talk about John Mark. John Mark, what you need to know about him is that John Mark was an assistant on the first missionary journey Paul and Barnabas went on, and he didn't get too far into the journey when he left. Now, Paul and his companion, this is Acts 13, 13, his companion set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. You know, missions work, church work, missions work is sometimes scary. It's, it can be intimidating. Paul and Barnabas were not meeting warm crowds of applauding people in every town that they came in. Some of the towns they came in were hostile to them. There can be a lot of anxiety, fear maybe. Anyway, John Mark said, I am out of here, and he went to back home to Jerusalem. All right, and then Silas. What do we learn about Silas? Silas uh, was at the first church council. He was a representative at the church council in Jerusalem and also went with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch, to the church in Antioch, to give a report, right? So in Acts 15, right? They sent some men with Paul and Barnabas back to the church of Antioch. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas. They are described as leading men among the brothers. So Silas is a man who's a, a leader in the church of Jerusalem. Okay. Also, it's helpful to know, and we learn this later in the book of Acts, that Paul, both Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, which is going to help them a little bit in their ministry, right? Um, and so Acts 16, 37, 38 makes that clear. 
So Silas and Paul are both Roman citizens. Okay, so there's enough of history right there that I think the table has been adequately set. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the disagreement. The disagreement. We human beings, we never have disagreements. We are, this church is 100% in unity at all times. We never think differently on any topics, ever. Now, we do it all the time, right? And it's fine. It's, it's cool. It's, it's okay um, when we're talking about certain things. And other things, we, we try to persuade each other. And to, uh, to co- what we have in common is we look at what the Bible says is true. The disagreement. They had a mission to do. They agreed on the mission. The mission was to check in on the churches in every city. Uh, Acts 15.36, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, this is what my mind thinks about when I think about this, is that to some degree, they had gone and they had done evangelism, right? They had spread the gospel and maybe a little bit of discipleship, right? Uh, helping to teach them what Jesus had said. Then they left, and they let them live with that for a while. And I'm sure that as they did that, not having access to the New Testament, which wasn't written yet, that they probably had a lot of questions. They probably had a lot, like, how do we live in this situation? How do we live? So they're going to go back, and they're going to do more disciple building. They're going to do more discipleship uh, to these folks. They're going to strengthen the churches. So they agreed on that, right? But Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul does not. There is, the, there is the stickiness. John Mark is the stickiness. Now, do you get it? Barnabas, who is the son of encouragement, who is the guy that facilitated the relationship between Saul, later Paul, and the disciples of Jesus, who were not exactly, you know, they didn't view Paul as a, a friendly, but he he facilitated that relationship and got them back together. Not only that, John Mark is his cousin, and he wants John Mark on the trip. But Paul is probably thinking something along the lines of, "Hey, when things got tough, you know, when the go- when the going gets tough, John Mark got going away, like he left." And so, you know, if he did it early in our first journey he's probably going to do it again this guy needs to grow he needs some maturity he's not ready for this kind of level of work let's leave him home now one of the things that is just kind of interesting about us as christians that we all just have to recognize is we want to live in a world sometimes where everything's either right or wrong right it's good or it's bad and i just want to i want to say to you this morning and i think the bible i think the bible says this is that um we don't live in that world right we do live in a world where god has clearly said this is right and you should discipline yourself to build these practices into your life and the bible says that you know god says that these things are wrong lying is wrong stealing is wrong you you should avoid these things in your life clear but there's these other areas of life where we have freedom 
and we are to exercise our wisdom. We are to live skillfully within that freedom to minister the gospel in the particular setting to the particular person that we're at. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And so I just want you to open your mind up to the, to the fact that um, we don't always live in a world where every single detail is either a matter of right or wrong. It's sin or it's not sin. That there are some areas of freedom that we operate within. We'll talk about that. But Paul is probably thinking that John Mark lacks ministry metal. You know, when, when things get difficult, when the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the town begin to spread bad news about us, spread propaganda around the town, and the town becomes hostile to us, you got to stand in there. You, know, you got to stand in there. You got to keep ministering. You got to show the the people that it's not right and he doesn't want a man like john mark who's going to run away that's going to be a bad testimony uh one of the qualifications for the elder of the church right one of the qualifications of an elder is to not be a recent convert right or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil in other words we need men and you know the men the church needs men and women who have some maturity some some stick to some ability to stand up even when it's getting stressful and it's getting costly. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas disagree. And I want to say that they each probably have a good argument, right? A good argument can be made on both sides. In other words, Paul makes a good argument. He abandoned us once. He probably hasn't grown all that much since then. He's probably going to abandon us again. And Barnabas on the other side says, Listen, I've talked to him. He's learned from his mistakes. He says he's going to see it all the way through. You know, we got to, hey, Paul, the future of the church is the younger men. We got to bring up these younger guys. Let's, let's give John Mark a second chance. Just like, you know, I facilitated Barnabas, I facilitated the relationship between you and the disciples. Hey, let's give John Mark a second chance. Proverbs 18, 17 says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that situation, right? Uh, I listen to one side of the story and say, Oh, wow, that's, I, I hear you're, you're right. And then I hear the other side. It's like, Oh, well, there's some nuance here, right? Now, the question is, is this a sin issue? In other words, would Paul have been in sin to reject John Mark from the trip, or would Barnabas have been in sin to take him along? And my argument is no. This wasn't a matter of what's right and wrong. This was a matter of what is good and better, what is wise, right? Um, what's a wise decision? What's an unwise decision? We define wisdom around here as living skillfully, and so was it, would it have been a good thing to take Paul, to take John Mark on the journey? In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul gives a whole discussion to the church in Corinth on eating meat offered to idols, and he makes an argument like this. He says, look, we know that these idols that these people are worshiping are false gods. They have no power at all. They're made out of carvings, rock, stone, wood, metal. They're nothing. So eating the meat that's offered to them, no big deal to us. However, however, you may come into contact with or you may be ministering with somebody who is 
has a problem in their conscience of eating meat offered to idols, or it's going to cause them to stumble. It's going to degrade their relationship with the Lord in some way. In those cases, when you're in that situation, don't eat the meat offered to idols. Even though you know it's fine, and you know, just don't, call it, don't put a stumbling block in front of another. And I think that's the territory that we're navigating here, right? This is a wisdom issue. This is not a sin issue. And so, uh, instead of lumping everything into the, right, the category of right and wrong, we say it's right when the Bible says it's right. We say it's sin when the Bible says it's sin. And for everything else, we try to uh, exercise wisdom. Now, the last thing I'll put on this slide is, should Christians always agree? Well, certainly, you can point, I can point to scriptures like uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, uh, and other places where Paul and others are telling the church, hey, you should try as hard as you can to agree with one another. Be of the same mind, I think Ephesians, Ephesians 4 says, uh, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But let me, let me tell you this. Delaware is a, is a suburban area, right? We're just down the street from Columbus, really. I grew up in a rural area, and there are other churches that are ministering, like in the city of Columbus, that are more of an urban area. We all are teaching and preaching the same Bible. The, we're sharing the same gospel. But the culture and the people that we're ministering to are different. And so a technique that they would use in Columbus or a technique that might be used in Francisville, Indiana uh, might be different than a technique or an approach that we would use here in Delaware. And that's okay, right? How easy is it for us to sit here in suburban Delaware and look at a church and the way that they're ministering the gospel, perhaps with the very same beliefs that we hold, but they're ministering the gospel in a different way. They're taking a different approach, and we say, what are they doing? Knuckleheads. We got to be careful with this stuff, right? We got to be careful. We are not commanded to agree all the time on wisdom or preference issues. We are to agree and obey when the Bible says something is right and when the Bible says something is sin, we obey. When the Bible is clear, thou shalt not steal, right? Uh, the Bible says that in the Old Testament. Jesus repeats it in the New. Um, we don't steal, right? But how we approach the ministry, the personnel that we bring on board our teams to execute the ministry, things like that, those are preference issues Sometimes we agree to disagree. Well, what happened? What happened? The, the, the result was separate missions. Separate missions. Uh, and the way it worked out, Paul and John Mark went to Cyprus. Remember, Barnabas is from Cyprus, right? So that makes sense. Going to go to his home court, have home court advantage. And Paul is going to recruit Silas from the church in Jerusalem. I don't know if he, if he summoned him or whatever, went up and got him. But Paul and Silas paired up, and they went to Syria and Cilicia. And if I got my geography right, Cilicia is where the city of Tarshish is, and that's where Paul is from. So that makes sense. It makes sense. 
Why do they go in pairs? Well, you know, I, you know, I just thought about that. It's like Paul could have just left and gone on his own, but he didn't. He, he recruited a guy from quite a far way away. He recruited Silas. And um, I can, my mind ran to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 where it, it talks about two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, there's some real good practical reasons to be in teams here. Uh, for example, they didn't have the medications and, and the treatments that we have today. So if one of them got sick, if they roll into town and Silas is sick, Paul can teach. If Paul gets injured, Silas can teach. So they got that going for him. They can have each other's back if things get heated in the town, kind of watch out for each other. And, you know, sometimes doing the work of the ministry is lonely work. And it's easy, I would, I would think it would become easier to become discouraged if you're by yourself. And so um, they've got each other to, you know, not only run ideas past, but also just encourage one another along the difficulties of this ministry. And then the text tells us that both groups, both Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Silas were commended, approved by the church. Now you could, you could imagine, let's, let's take this occurrence and let's drop it into 2023, right? And uh, you've got Pastor Brad and Pastor Scott, and they've, they don't want to you know, Pastor Scott wants to take Aaron on the trip, right? But Pastor Brad, he's like, I don't want Aaron, right? I'm no Aaron. Aaron's no good. Don't know. So, you know, so Pastor Scott and Pastor Aaron, we pair off, and we're going to go over here and do this. And Pastor Brad recruits, you know, Pastor Marvin. They're going to go over and do that. How easy is it in the day and age that we live in today? How, how I guess I want to test your mind a little bit and ask you this. How common would it be for something like what I'm about to say to happen in a church? I'm playing the part of Pastor Scott. I'm paired off with Pastor Aaron. Pastor Brad and Pastor Marv are going to go on a mission, but in a different location. And I just say to someone, I'm throwing myself under the bus, I understand. I, I say to someone, can you believe, can you believe Pastor Brad didn't want to take Pastor Aaron? I mean, what's his problem? can't believe the church leadership's going to support that attitude by sending him out to do the mission. And he's taking Pastor Marv. What's that? thought he was retired. Just that little subtle undermining. Just that little subtle planting a seed of doubt, of question, into the, injecting that into the bloodstream of the congregation can be poisoned. That's not what happened in the church of Antioch. Both sides, both groups were approved. They were commended. They were set out, sent out with the church's blessing. And there's a real lesson in that for us today in how we handle disagreements. Now, I want to make some observations. And I, I recognize that some of these are like arguments from silence, but the text is pretty clear 
And the outcome is pretty clear because we can read all the way to the end of the book of Acts. And so I just want to make some observations that I think are uh, meaningful. Number one, the church in Antioch did not split over this matter. <clears throat> Paul did not thrust his chest forward as, I'm the apostle Paul. I saw Christ on the road to Damascus. Are you on my side or are you on Barnabas's side? Hey, church, pick a side. He didn't do that. Neither did Barnabas, right? They had a disagreement. What they had in common was the mission. They had a disagreement on how to execute the mission. They had a separation over it, but they were still carrying out the mission. And so we, we see the church of Antioch did not seem to experience a split. There seemed to be no revenge or sabotage, right, uh, on either one of their parts. In other words, Paul didn't sneak over to Barnabas's boat in the middle of the night, you know, the one that he's getting ready to set sail to Cyprus and just take a punch and a hammer and go, just going to poke a hole in there. They're going to get out, you know, they're going to get out a mile or two and sink. And then we're going to take, we're going to go to Cyprus. First. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I realize this is the in the context of clear sin issues, not in the context of preferences, but you get the point. Their attitude was such that even though they disagreed on how to do the mission, they still were partners in the mission, and they just decided to do the mission separately. Because the mission is critical. The mission is the important part. The, the mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptize new believers, and teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. That is the critical part. That's the part that can never get lost. How quickly are we, and the American church writ large, willing to throw the mission under the bus to configure the church the way we think it should be configured, or to do things in the church the way we think they ought to be done? I'm pretty scared by it, honestly. And if I'm being honest with you right now, and I like to think that I am, because it's like cheating on a seminary test, why would you do that? I think a lot of pastors in the United States of America are, are operating their ministries out of fear of man rather than fear of the Lord, because we're afraid that if we do something that's going to honk off too many people, that's a preference issue, that our ministries will be over. I'm just being honest. Let's keep our eyes on the ball, Delaware Bible Church. Our, the, eye, the, the ball that we're keeping our eye on is the mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations, baptizing new believers and discipling uh, believers by teaching them to observe everything that Christ has given. Why? Because we believe that that is the most healthy, life-giving way to live. Our loving God who loved us so much that he sent his son to die has given us these instructions because they are good for us and all, the, all those that we come into contact with. Let us not be destroyed or let us not destroy ourselves by thinking that we know that our particular preference is right and your particular preference is wrong. But to learn to operate in wisdom and to separate out a wisdom issue from a sin issue. Okay. The mission is what is critical. And then lastly, um, the mission, mission coordination happened. What I mean by that is, my observation is that 
Paul and Barnabas must have talked after that. It's not like they were uh, giving each other the silent treatment because they agreed Barnabas and John Mark are going to go to Cyprus, where he's from, and minister. Uh, Paul and Silas are going to go to Syria, which is the region around Antioch, and Cilicia, which is the region around Tarshish. And they're going to minister there, carrying out what it talks about in God's word. All things should be done decently and in order. There's a lot of lessons to learn here, folks, for, for us in the American church. Now, let's talk briefly about the aftermath. The aftermath is this, is years later, as Paul is an old man, his, the, the lion's share of his ministry is behind him, and he sits down to write the second letter to Timothy, the last letter that he'll ever write. We see him pen these words that John Mark is useful in ministry. This is how he says it. Luke alone is with me. He's in prison at the time. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. John Mark went with Barnabas and apparently proved himself to be the man that God wanted him to be, to be a man who was a faithful minister of the gospel. He did not abandon the journey. And so as time went by, Paul viewed him as a man who is very useful in ministry. That, to me, is just part of the sweetness of brothers trying as hard as they can to set them, themselves, their preferences aside, and to walk in unity even amidst disagreement. In other words, Paul didn't say, I can't ever speak highly of John Mark again because of the way I felt about him back then. He didn't hold a grudge. seems like that uh, Mark was recognized by more than just Paul because in Peter, First uh, Peter 5.13, the other disciples, or at least Peter, recognized him as a good man too. She was in Babylon who likewise chosen sends you greetings and also does Mark, my son. Mark, my son. So Peter and Mark must have had a closer relationship. Folks, I, I'm going to just close here in a minute, but, but first I'm just going to say this. The only reason that this is even possible, the only reason that we're able to hold together in unity as believers is because of what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. The fact that our sins are forgiven liberates us now to live the way that Jesus teaches us to live. And what he, the way he seems to be teaching us to live is to call what he calls sin, sin, and exterminate it from our lives, be killing it. John Owen said, the Puritan, be killing sin or it will be killing you. To take that which God says is good and to discipline ourselves to implement these things in our lives. And on these matters of preference, on these matters of wisdom, we can agree to disagree so that we don't sacrifice unity or mission. So the answer to the big question today, how do we, what do we learn from this conflict? Paul's conflict with Barnabas over John Mark informs us that it is possible to disagree as Christians, while still remaining unified and on mission. With this many people in the room, if we took a vote right now on what color to paint this room, we're not going to get 100%. What color, what color the carpet should be, we're never going to get 100%. Some of you want shag carpet. I mean, just admit who you are. We're never going to agree, right? So what do we do? 
we set aside our preferences and in favor of you know all the things submitting to biblical leadership yes but also understanding that our preference isn't a sin issue it isn't a right or wrong issue it's simply my preference and i'm going to recognize it as such and not let that get in the way of our unity or our mission and i'll be the first to admit uh, we need god's help to do that by way of practical application here's a few things to think about first of all learn to to tell the difference between what is a sin issue and what is a wisdom issue on sin issues we must simply obey what god says right on wisdom issues, we must exercise discernment while preserving unity for the good of the mission. I don't care if you have an opinion. I don't care if you articulate that opinion. I don't care if you say, I really, 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 really think that my way is the wisest way we could go. That's all healthy. It's that moment where you cross over and what you think is wise becomes sin. Or you cross over in saying, in overstating what God has said. That's the danger zone. That's where you got to stay away. I think a practical example of that may just become in the form of the, of the type of media that each one of us in this room choose to consume. There may be a particular TV show out there, and one of you enjoys that TV show. It doesn't cause a stumbling block, a block in your relationship with the Lord. You get a lot out of it. You find it very entertaining. While another one of you, right down the row, may say, I would never allow myself to watch that television show and all the negative messages that it carries. It, it, it hurts my heart that you would watch that television show. What are you doing? That's a rich and thoughtful conversation to have. But the moment that one of you says, I'm ab you are absolutely wrong and in sin for watching that television show, or the other person says, you are absolutely right and God is commanding you to watch this television show. There's the problem. We need to do better, Delaware Bible Church, for if we go down the road of making our preferences into our doctrines, we will split this church numerous times. We will lose any power to witness in this community and we'll be, quite frankly, a laughing stock. And we don't want that. We want to be wise. We want to be, we want to have a reputation of loving people, loving God, and ministering the truth, even when the society around us refuses to hear it. Last two things are related. Do not allow yourselves to be fooled into thinking that a wisdom issue is a sin issue. You only get this, by the way, by studying God's word and, and uh, learning from it, right? And the, the reverse is true. Do not allow yourself to be fooled into thinking that a clear sin issue is but a wisdom issue. Right, um, I would say that the first bullet point on the screen is what the fundamental church often stumbles in, in thinking that everything they think is wise is right and therefore if you don't do what we say is right it's a sin and the liberal church falls into the second bullet point by thinking that everything is negotiable when it's not when God has just clearly said stealing, don't do it alright Father, we thank you. We praise you for establishing life the way you have, giving us what we need when we need it. Father, you've given us in your word what is clearly right. You've given us in your word what is clearly wrong and to be avoided and exterminated from our lives. 
And then you've given us this middle ground called wisdom issues or preference issues. Help us to be very, very discerning as we approach each one of these matters to kill sin in our lives, to, to install good things into our lives, and on matters of preference, to agree to disagree whenever it is appropriate to do so. Keeping our mind focused on the unity of this church and the mission that we have on this earth. I love what the video said that Ade and Rachel brought today, that the Bible teaches me that this life that I'm living has purpose. That is what we have, and it's been given by you. Let us not neglect the purpose to which we have been called. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.